Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. I'm Pastor Samuel, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise. And thank you so much for the privilege of sitting down with you every morning and not just giving you a thought. We're actually reading through the entire Bible together. Now, believe it or not, we actually finished this once because we've been going a little over a year now. So we've read the whole Bible together once, and now we're beginning our second time through. I don't want to just give you little thoughts in this time. There's life in the Word. And some of it is it's a little heavy plowing going through it, especially in Leviticus and Numbers and some parts of Deuteronomy as we'll be working on again today. But all of his words are life and health unto us. And so we just want to read through the whole Bible. It's amazing how as you read through the whole Bible, everything begins to come in perspective. We're going to get started today in Psalms chapter 38, beginning with verse 17. David said, for I am ready to fall. He said, my pain is ever before me. <laughs> and then he said, I confess my iniquity and I'm sorry for my sins. Now, as we've been reading through Psalm 38 together, we saw that David had sinned, that David had fallen into sin and he'd held that sin in his heart and it was being destructive in his physical body. But then he said, God, I confess my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. This is repentance. Now, brothers and sisters, once repentance flows, everything changes. He said, God, you know, I confess my iniquity and I'm sorry for my sin, but my foes are vigorous and they are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. He said, God, they hate me and it's, it's not right. I haven't done anything to them. Those who render me Evil, all right, so they give me evil for good, so wrong, wrong payback. Okay, you don't, you don't give back to somebody evil when they've been good to you. And they, he said, they accuse me because I follow after good. Now, you know what? There's a lot of people that just don't like it when you teach what's true and when you teach what's right because they disagree with you, just like in Jesus' day. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O oh my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Now, as we've been noticing, as we read through the book of Psalms together, David was a warrior and David was a king. And welcome to leadership because you're going to have a lot of people against you. Being a leader is not an easy place, but God sustained him. Brothers and sisters, right now I know some of you, you're not in an easy place. And you say, Lord, make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. Don't forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. And I love that. Make haste to help me. Lord, please hurry. That's how some of you are praying right now. You need healing in your body. You need finances. You need a job. A whole new group of young people. Imagine graduating from college with no graduation ceremonies. And now you're looking for jobs. Make haste. Father, you know all the challenges so many of our people are facing right now. These are, these are hard times, Lord. And yes, you teach us to endure the hard times. But Lord, we don't endure it alone. You are with us. You will never fail us. You will never forsake us. And Father, there are some that need miracles right now. They need miracles right now. 
Oh, Lord, they have no place else to turn but you. And I can't think of a better place to turn. Father, in Jesus' name, make haste to help them. Make haste to bring healing into their body. Make haste. Quickly, Lord, come and bring the financial provision they need. Quickly bring in those new buyers. Quickly bring those fish into those fishing boats. Quickly, Lord, bring those sails to pass. Father, we ask for help, and we ask for help quickly in these days. There are some of your sons and daughters, Lord, they don't know how long they're going to be able to hold on. But Lord, they wait for you. Be not far from them. Lord, I ask for the frontliners. They're worn out and tired, and the hospitals are filling up. Father, give them strength. Put your strength in their soul and your strength in their bodies as they reach out to care for people that, Lord, everybody else is even afraid to go near. Father, I pray for all of our businessmen now with this new lockdown. Father, even trying to sell food in the barangays, it's, Lord, they can't even go out and sell the food house to house. Father, be not far from them. Make haste to help them, Father. Let them see the gracious hand of their God. Lord, you promised. You promised that you know our needs even before we ask of you. You promised that you'd meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Father, as tithers and as people who have sown seed, we come to you. Let our families, let our friends, let them see the supernatural provision of God. Lord, we prove you in this time. We thank you for it, Father. Let your provision come to your people. Let your blessings come to your people. Let your blessings be on all the work of their hands, Father. Let their businesses rise up strong. Let this be the year of twofold restoration that you place within my heart. Father, let none of your good promises fall to the ground, but show yourself faithful to all of your promises. Show yourself faithful to your people, Lord. You promised, Lord, that to the faithful you would show yourself faithful. Let people see your faithfulness in these days. Make haste to help them, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts now and spend some time in worship.
Old Testament passage today picks up in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. Now notice, going over to possess it. Promises are to be possessed. That you may fear the Lord. There's respect. That you may... Respect the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. So, okay, long life, respect for God. All that flows from keeping his statutes. You know, people who say that they have respect for God yet live with total disregard to the scriptures, Nah. When you keep the scriptures, you show your respect for God, and then God promises you long life. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly. So here's more promises. Long life, prosperity, multiply greatly. As the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. <laughs> the greatest commandment. And isn't it interesting that it's just kind of stuck in there? It's not part of the Ten Commandments. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Shema. Shema, O Israel. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one. He's one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. I love that. God's commandments need to be on our heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. All right, This is how family teaches the word. This is how you teach the word to your children. This is how you teach them diligently to your children. You talk about the commandments of God. You, you sit around the house and talk about them when you sit and when you walk and when you lie down and when you rise. You're always talking about the Bible with your family. Not so much preaching them long sermons because young people don't and children don't want to hear, oh, dad, I don't want another sermon. But you just keep talking about, you know what God says? And you're always planting those seeds in their hearts. You're always planting those seeds in their minds. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Have you ever noticed I sometimes tell you to, to write a scripture down and put it on the door jam before you leave the house or put it on your refrigerator? In other words, you put these, you put these commandments places where you always see them. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full. Now, would you look at that? God's blessings. God's blessings. He said, 
you know, these are going to be gifts from God. Then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Prosperity. Prosperity can make you forget God. But I want you to notice, you forget God when you think that um, you built these things. You don't forget God as long as you keep focused on he did all of this. I'm going to give you a little secret of my life. One of the things I do on a regular basis is look around at everything I have. And I say, God, you did all of this for me. I was just some silly kid. And you, you've done all of this. I walk through our big building here on Taft Avenue. I walk through South Campus and I just remind myself. You did all of this, God. This isn't, this isn't something we built. This is something you did for us. Now, if you will keep your attention, some of you business owners, you need to walk through your offices and walk through your factories and walk through your shops and remind yourself, God, you did all of this. As long as you remember the source, you will not forget God. But if you begin to think that you're the source, you will forget God. And so the key, who did it? Who did all this? And to me, that's the key to the whole thing. You'll never begin to forget God when you remember constantly at everything you look at. God did all of this. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and his, by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. God's a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Wow. God's jealous. He said, I don't want you serving these demons. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test, as you tested him at Massah. You shall keep diligently the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he commanded you. You should do what is right, do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may be well with you, that you may go in and take possession of the good land the Lord your God swore to your fathers. So again, here's prosperity. And that's all prosperity is, is it goes well with you. And that you may go in and take possession. Here's the promises. You want the promises? Keep his word. By thrusting out all your enemies who came before you as the Lord promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in. So he brought us out that he might bring us in. Remember, God never takes you out that he doesn't bring you in. And give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always 
that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. So the purpose of obedience, the purpose of obedience for our good also always. You know, one of the things you have to learn to look at when it comes to the scriptures is that God never tells us to do anything or not to do something for his benefit. You see, we, we've grown up in a world where everybody has agendas. Now, we don't like to think that, but and, and that's not always true. I, I'm speaking generally, and that's not always true, because there are some people who really have an agenda just to love us. But for a lot of us, our experience in life is, you know, people have agendas, and they, they use us to advance their own agenda. And they tell us to do things for their agenda, and they tell us not to do things for their agenda. But God has no agenda but our blessing. And I, I think when I was a young man, I remember preaching a series of sermons back in the early 80s on motivation for obedience. I think we still use that in level one. Motivation for obedience. And it really hit me as a young pastor. The only reason God ever tells us to do anything is for our good always. Now, if you could just stop looking at the commandments of God and stop looking at the things that God asks us to do and not to do as, as controlling and start looking at it as for our benefit. Ah, it changes your whole motivation for obedience. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he commanded us. Chapter 7, verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Gershonites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me. Wow. Here's the reason. To serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. All right. So he says, I don't want you to do this. He said, there's a reason. He said, you will engage the culture. He said, now you start engaging the culture and the culture starts turning you away from me. Ah. Thus you shall deal with them. You shall break down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and chop down their ashram and burn their carved images alive. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own treasured possession. It's one of the first things I really got excited about when I read my Bible through the first time. I am God's treasured possession. You're not just a people belonging to God. You're a treasured possession. Now, I have some treasured possessions. And to other people, those things may look of no value. I have very few things from my father. But as he got older, he gave me a little pair of shoes that were my first leather shoes as a little boy. He'd kept all these years. And he gave me this little slingshot that he had carved himself for me. And, you know, you look at and, and the camera he gave me when I was 14 years old, the, the first real present I ever remember having from my dad. 
those things are treasured possessions. And I, and I have them in a very special little cabinet at home. Now, you might look at them and it means nothing to you. My grandfather's wallet is there with him. <laughs> that was the, grand, the wallet my grandfather always carried. It may mean nothing to anybody else, but I remember Grandpa opening up that wallet and buying things for me. And it was, you know, when you grow up poor, people don't spend money on you. I remember Grandpa spending money on me. There are things in our lives that are treasured possessions. You are God's treasured possession. Other people may look upon you and think that you're of no value. <laughs> but you know what? <laughs> it's just like those things in my little cabinet. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about them. My attitude toward it, that's my treasured possession. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. You are God's treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it is not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. Ha <laughs> ha! This is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. And that's one of my little lists. Just because I love him. Just because I love him. He's faithful to me. Just because I love him. Not because I'm faithful, because when I'm faithless, he's faithful. But just because I love him. And repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with the one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and the statutes and the rules that I command you today. Now, back up and notice that there are people who hate God. People who hate God. I've never figured that out. Even as an unsaved person, I didn't hate God. I respected him, but I didn't hate him. Didn't particularly want to hang out with him, but I didn't hate him. I, I, but there are people out there that literally hate God. Verse 12. And because you listen to these rules and keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the steadfast love that he swore to your fathers. All right. He said, because you keep and do them, the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and steadfast love. He will love you and bless you. Oh, he will love you and bless you. There's one, there's two, and multiply you, number three. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your of the ground, your grain, your wine, your oil, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock, and the land that he swore to your fathers to give you. You shall be blessed above all peoples. That's one of those wows. You shall be blessed above all peoples. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness 
and none of these evils of Egypt which you knew will he inflict on you, but will lay them on all who hate you. Wow. There's a beautiful promise. A promise of health. Now that's a promise to hold on to in these days. You've been redeemed from the curse of the law. We've taught you how many times. If we will just live and keep his word and just live for him and love him, he will take away from you all sickness. And none of the evil diseases of Egypt, which you knew, will he inflict upon you. Now notice, he will take away from you all sicknesses. It doesn't say that, that sickness will never come near you. He'll take it away. And you shall consume all the peoples that the Lord your God will give over to you. Your eyes shall not pity them, neither shall you serve their gods, for that would be a snare to you. These are traps. Spiritual traps. And that's something that you need to make a list of. As you read through the Bible, you can open a page and lists of spiritual traps, things to beware of. If you say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I disappoint them, dis dispossess them? And you shall not be afraid of them. But you shall remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. Now notice, if you say in your heart, they're, they're powerful, more powerful, how can we possibly do this? He said, you shall not. I'm giving you a command. I don't want you to be afraid of these. Remember what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all Egypt. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs, the wonders, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm, by which the Lord your God brought you out. So will the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. Moreover, the Lord your God will send hornets among them. <laughs> Until those who are left and hide themselves from you are destroyed. He's going to send hornets. I'm not sure we even have hornets in the Philippines. We have bees. But think of a hornet is like a triple-sized bee with a stinger that doesn't stay. It can sting you as many times as it wants with a real bad attitude. You know, hornets are hornets are ugly, and they're extremely aggressive. God said, I'm going to send hornets among them just to torment them and drive them out. You shall not be in dread of them, for the Lord your God is in your midst, a great and an awesome God. The Lord your God will clear away from these nations before you, little by little. You may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. All right, so... Promises fulfillment is progressive. You know, we always want God to do it all right now, but it doesn't happen like that. You know, a family came to me one time and they said, Pastor, we've been praying for our dream house. And I said, wonderful. They said, but oh, Pastor, what God gave us is not our dream house. I said, why do you say that? Well, Pastor, our dream house is three bedrooms and a sala and a, a place to park our car and two stories on about a 250-square-meter lot. And I said, what did God give you? 40 square meters, Pastor, on a 250-square-meter lot. I said, what's your problem? That's not what we prayed for, Pastor. I said, sometimes you need to understand the promises of God are fulfilled little by little because that's what you can handle right now. 
But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they are destroyed. And he will give their kings into your hand and you shall make their name perish from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. The carved images of their gods you shall burn with fire, not keep. You don't keep demon gods around. You Forgive me, brothers and sisters, you don't collect demon gods. You don't collect idols. But they're worth a lot of money, Pastor. <laughs> you shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them or take them for yourself. He said, hey, these will be a lot worth a lot of money. He said, lest you be ensnared. Here's that spiritual trap. Now, I've watched people do this. I went into a preacher's home one time, many years ago, and he collected statues of demon gods from all over the world, from China, from Japan, from India, from the Philippines, from all over, the, well, really all over Asia, not so much all over the world. And I watched him as he walked into his house, and I saw all these demon idols on this beautiful I mean, it was a beautiful display case. Like, I collect archaeology things from Israel where he collect, collected all these demon idols. And, and he, he came to me and he, said, he wanted to show me. I said, I really don't want to look at those things. He said, oh, you're just superstitious. I said, I'm not superstitious. I'm Bible. Those things all represent demons. And I worship Jesus. We had dinner together. But I noticed as we walked in, he always stopped and looked at them and nodded his head as he bowed by. And when we left, he did the same thing again. And I looked at him and I said, you know, you pay tribute to those demons every time you walk in and every time you walk out of your house. And I said, one day those things are going to bring you down. And you know, one day he was praying to them. You see, there's a, there's a spiritual trap in there. This is why God doesn't want you to keep them around. No matter how much they're worth, you burn them. And you should not bring an abominable thing into your house and become devoted to destruction like it. You bring these demon idols into your home, and you will become devoted, notice become, devoted to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest and abhor it, for it is devoted to destruction. I have a friend in Israel that I buy a lot of artifacts from, and he had the largest collection of this one ancient demon god. He said, I have this huge collection of these these figures of these this ancient demon god. And he said, I'll, I'll sell you the whole bunch. He said, I, he said, I'll sell my whole collection to you. He said, I'm building a new house. I'll sell my whole collection. I said, I don't want any of them. I will not take a demon god, a statue of a demon god, into my house. Do not bring an abominable thing into your house. Why? Because then you become devoted to destruction like it. Brothers and sisters, there are some things that don't change. God is a jealous God. He wants your worship on him alone. Amen? All right. Let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship.
Our New Testament passage today picks up in Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. Soon afterward, he, Jesus, went through the cities and villages. So notice Jesus preached in the cities and villages. All right, so large and small population areas. He didn't just stay to the big cities. Proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. All right, so they had they had been demon-possessed, and they had been sick. So these are, these are women who had been demon-possessed and had been physically sick in their body. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Wow, she had seven. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager. Now Herod, remember, is probably sitting on his throne in Sephori and sometimes coming into Tiberias. So the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. So these people were supporting Jesus and the Twelve with food and etc. They were cooking food and providing for them out of their own means. When a great crowd was gathering and people from one town after another after town came to him, he said to them in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. Notice, grew up with it. And some fell in good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When the disciples asked him what this parable meant, all right, so learning requires questions. You have to learn to ask questions. And he said to them, To you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. So not all truth is for everyone. Now, you know, you have to understand there's nothing, it's not like somebody's a spiritual elite or something here. But he said, you know, to you, to the disciples who had walked away from everything to follow him, and who were obeying his words and, and you know what he taught them they were they were integrating and obeying in their life. He said, Now to you has been given another secret to the kingdom. Now, one of the truths that you have to learn is that if you don't use truth, you lose truth. And if you use truth, you'll be taught more truth. Now let me say that one more time. If you don't use truth, you lose truth. And if you will use the truth, God will teach you more. Now, I'll show you that in other scriptures one of these days. But I want you to understand this is not a thing about spiritual elitism. It's a thing about there were people who were following Jesus, listening to him, and obeying his teachings. And because of that, that opens them to learn more. But he said, you know, there are other people. They want to see miracles, but they don't want to change. And he said, they're not going to learn more. So again, this is not, this is not spiritual elitism. Okay, what this is, is using what you have learned. 
Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The one along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. All right, so you have to understand. Salvation is a battle. It is a battle. As Peter says, we plant the incorruptible seed of the word of God in people's hearts. We stand in a crusade. We stand on a street corner. We, we do morning devotions. We stand in a service and we, we teach the truth of the gospel. And there are people that as soon as they've heard it, the devil comes. The devil immediately comes and takes away the word out of their heart. And the purpose, so that they may not believe and be saved. You have to understand, there is opposition. There is opposition to the gospel. And that opposition is not just what you see going on around you in persecution. There's a spiritual opposition seeking to steal the truth of the gospel from people's hearts. Now, why does the devil want to steal the word? Because in the message of the gospel, there is both the truth and the faith to believe that truth. It's, it, it's a piggybacked seed, okay? There's, there, there's truth and then there's the faith to believe that are, is given with that truth. So the devil doesn't want to leave anything there. You know, you've got to get a hold of this, brothers and sisters. The devil does not want to leave the truth of the gospel in people's hearts because that gospel, that truth, that incorruptible seed will grow. The devil cannot destroy that seed. All he can do is steal it. Now, you, you need to understand that. He can't destroy the seed. Only steal. Because if he leaves that seed in people's hearts, it is going to grow. The one on the rock are those whom, when they hear the word of God, receive it with joy. But they have no root. They believe for a while. And in time of testing, fall away. Wow. They really, they hear it and they receive it with joy but they don't let the word really take root in their life. So they believe just for a while. These are temporary salvations. These people never work out their own salvation with fear and trembling. They never really dig into God. As for those that fell among the thorns, those, there are those that hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares by the riches, by the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Now these are long-term salvations. And that truth of the seed of the gospel is choked out. This is why you can't allow the cares of COVID-19 to overwhelm you. This is why you can't allow riches and the pleasures of life to, to, to fill your heart. Beloved, please, you, you have to understand. Now, yes, I believe that we are secure in Christ. Yes, I believe that. But I also understand that there are people who allow the cares of life, who allow the riches of this world, who allow the pleasures of life to so 
fill their hearts and to so fill their minds. There's no place for the Word of God anymore. There's no place for, for, for the, the, the gospel seed in their hearts anymore. As for the good soil, they are those who, hearing the Word of God, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. I like that. Do you remember how Jesus says in John 6, he said, if you hold my words in your heart, then you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. This whole concept here of holding, of holding, holding the word of God, making a choice to hold that truth of the gospel in your heart, holding fast. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Okay? For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. Nothing is hidden, nothing, that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. There are no secrets. There are no secrets in this life. So don't try to have any. I mean, please, beloved, don't try to have any secrets because secrets are always going to come out. Okay? Take care. And here's the principle I was teaching you earlier. Take care how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. This is number one truth for learning and spiritual growth. This is a big deal. This is a big deal, brothers and sisters. Take care how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken away from him. In other words, when you hear, you hear, and really that concept here is hear, you hear obediently. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. All right, now again, brothers and sisters, notice everything in this passage this whole passage is about hearing and doing. The whole passage is about that. And so Jesus closes out this passage by saying, this is who family is. Family are people who hear the word of God and do it. They integrate it and implement it into their life. That's spiritual family. All right. We got a little bit of time for Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 15 today. Proverbs 15, beginning with verse 30. Let me read it to you from the New Living Translation. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart. Do you want to bring joy to people's heart? Smile at them. Have you ever just been having a bad day and somebody walks up to you with a big smile on their face? <laughs> It brings joy to your heart. Now, 
ESV says the light of the eyes rejoices the heart. Now, why, why would it say the light of the eyes? Have you ever noticed people with a happy face have their eyes opened wide? People that are angry, they frown, their eyes are squinted. But people who are happy, there's light in their eyes, Diba. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart. Good news makes for good health. <laughs> good news makes for good health. Have you ever noticed bad news stresses you out, releases all those cortisone things in your body and brings stress to you? Good news makes for good health. If you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. Learn to listen. ESV says, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Learn to listen to people. When people say, hey, I think there's a better way of doing that. Now, I'm not talking about people who are tearing you down. Okay, now, now there's a difference between constructive criticism, between people who are giving life-giving reproof, and those who are just bashing you. Okay, bashers ignore them. Bashers don't pay any attention to them. I like the psalm that we read yesterday. It says, I'll be like a deaf man. I don't want to hear it. I'm going to be like a mute man. I don't want to respond to them. I trust in the Lord. He will answer them. I like that passage. So we're not talking about the bashers. We're not talking about people who just like to walk up and make fun of you and criticize you. And every time you get around them, they want to tear you down. I, that's not what this is talking about. But there are people that will walk up to you and with a good heart say, you know, I think there's a better way to do that. You know, there's, there's a better way to do this. Can, you, you, I, let me help you. That is something you should learn to listen to. And it will cause you to make your life, make your home, you'll be at home among the wise. Wise people listen. If you reject discipline, you'll only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you will grow in understanding. Listen to people when they, they'd say, listen, let me let me talk to you about doing something a little bit different. Let me, let me help you think about that just a little differently. Now, again, I'm not talking about bashers. I'm not talking about people that just like to put you down in their arrogance and their pride. I'm talking about good-hearted people. Fear of the Lord, respect for the Lord, teaches wisdom. And here's a big one. Humility precedes honor. You want to be somebody? Humble yourself. Humility precedes honor. Just like pride comes before a fall, humility comes before honor. If you want people to treat you with honor, take the humble position. Take, take the humble place. I was in an international board meeting not too long ago. And well, a couple of years ago now. And have you ever noticed in this whole COVID-19 thing, it's hard to remember when things happened. It's like all of life is a blur. But a couple of years ago, I was at an international board meeting of pastors. And I was new boy on the block. And so I took, there was like three rows of chairs. I took the back row of seats because I was new boy on the block. And the guy who was the chairman said, I want you to sit right up here. And I sat right up close to him. And to be honest, it was a little embarrassing. And I thought, you know, I should, I'm, I'm, I'm new boy on the block. I should earn my way before I sit at the table with everybody. I, I'll just sit back here in a chair. Now, you're, you're going to have to learn if you will humble yourself like that. 
then God will bring honor to your life. Now, beloved, please humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. Not your time, in his time. Amen. All right. We're going to see you tonight, 7 o'clock, Friday night service. We will be coming to you online. We won't be having services in the auditorium with the new lockdowns. And we'll talk to you more about this weekend as soon as we get some more decisions from the government. But um, be listening to those and passing them on as soon as you hear them. But we'll be online tonight with you, and I'm going to continue to teach you on prayer. I'm going to begin to teach you what I was going to teach last Friday night, and God just wanted us to spend some more time in worship and prayer. But I'm going to begin to teach you about the prayer life of the Apostle Paul. One of the big things that I think God has called us all to in this time is to spend more time in prayer. We'll see you tonight, 7 o'clock sharp.